my name is John Thornton. My name is Bernetta Williams. And I'm Jesse Kohler. Uh, here with Direct with Northlight Directors. Direct with Northlight Directors, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so, let, one thing I want to do is start off with a recap of last week. We talked about um, the benefits of animal and children's lives. And um, we started a discussion about how children having animals in their lives affects their behavior, affects their moods, and will uh, develop their empathy with dealing with other people. And Jesse, do you want to add on? Yeah, to so it kind of stemmed from a conversation about my kindergarten classroom where Mrs. Whiting had cute little bunnies. Uh, and so John did a little bit of research, and, you know, there's a nice little piece about the benefits of animals in children's lives and the empathy that's built. Uh, some of the skills that it goes through, just for a quick recap, uh, you know, it teaches kids how to be vulnerable with another being, uh, you know, free speech. There's very little judgment when it comes to animals past. Uh, exciting abilities. I know with my own cat nowadays, he, he can jump like anything, and it's kind of awesome to see. You learn how to process feelings. Um, and again, that was a, an article... From uh, communityplaythings.com. From communityplaythings.com. Uh, yeah. The author was Patty Bornselli, so thank you for that, Patty. <laughs> uh, we appreciate you validating our conversation from last week. Definitely. Definitely do. And now, on to this one. Children, housekeeping. Children's services. So, one thing I want to do is thank the families who came out for our open house. Um, we raised a little bit of money, which we're very appreciative of, and we also had an amazing time with lots of the sponsors who were there. Uh, Skate the Foundry Skate was the there. Foundry. Um, well, Merged Dance Studios, yes, yes. as well as um, Turning Points for Children was there as well, and Northern Lights. Northern Home. Homes, Children. Yes. Northern yeah. Children Homes. We're North Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, so we had, and we also had Philly tutors for people that are interested in in SAT and preparing their their children with games as well. And we also had another sponsor that's interested in doing wellness reviews, wellness checks with families in the community. So we'll give you more information on our sponsors, but we really appreciate you all for coming out and all of the families and the children that came out that day as well. It turned out to be a beautiful day. Yes, yes it was amazing. Bernetta, do you have any information for teen services? I do. So we are in a heavy recruitment mode right now. Um, work Ready, Skep Work Ready is taking off. We have over 118 students that signed up on our under our referral code, and we are currently have 40 slots available. So there will be some students that can make it through to the next round, but other students will have to join Northlight in other capacities, such as volunteer opportunities that we have for teens. And we also have a thriving program called Team Works, and we are recruiting for that program as well. It is for current high school students, high school graduates, actually, that are interested in trade. So we understand that you all want to go to college, and it may be a great opportunity for some of you to go, but some people don't want to go to school um, away from home, but they do want to continue to educate themselves. And we have a, 
a wonderful program where they can earn a stipend as well as learn a skill, learn a trade, or at least the basics to start to learn that trade. So we're just preparing our community and our families with opportunities to grow and to develop in their workforce. Yeah, that, that's an exciting new program that Burnett is putting on that, you know, from my perspective, the excitement is really that, uh, you know, you talked about how not every kid wants to go to college. Uh, college is also, higher education is becoming quite an economic burden, mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily the best first step, and you know, whereas the trades are a way into money, gaining independence, learning those skills that you're teaching them in this pre-apprenticeship training program. Mm -hmm. uh, See, Jesse, you articulated that very well. Thank you very much. <laughs> my job, Bernetta. <laughs> it is my pleasure. Um, and then on the development side, um, so a few exciting things. The new FUSE program, which is bridging the gap between John and Bernetta's program in the future, and Danielle. And shout Danielle. out to the current yeah. director of Children's Services. Um, you know, uh, our FUSE program, which is bridging the gap for those 13 to 16-year-old, uh, that, that age group, we're teaching them leadership and responsibility skills that will hopefully bridge them from our child care offerings to our workforce development offerings at the center. Uh, that was just accepted into Pennsylvania's EITC program, which is Earned Income Tax Credits. Uh, we were labeled as an education improvement organization for a few of the partnerships that we established to help out with that program. So a thanks to uh, Terry Leahy Films, uh, a thanks to Cognition, and a special thanks to uh, Manny Young Studios, yeah. where oh, we are right now. Yeah, we'll come back to that yeah. at the end, but thanks to all of them for helping out with that. Uh, so that's exciting, that's a pool of money mm -hmm. uh, that we didn't have access to before. And then, as always, we're wrapping up the uh, annual campaign for the year. So anybody who has a little bit to give, we would thoroughly appreciate your support. And where can they go to get it again? Uh, so you can go to northlightcommunitycenter.org. There is a Give Now button. Uh, you can follow that into our Interland page, uh, which is our payment processing. Um, and if you would rather write a check, our... Address is 175 Green Lane, Philadelphia, PA, 19127. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Jess. So Thank let's you. get started with the discussion of the day. Today is DHS with families. And what I, the reason why I bought Tajay Clark and Clarence Gibson, Ginson. Nelson. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, here today is because I wanted to start the communication with parents and child services so that way we can start understanding what do what why does child service step in what resources do they offer us and how they are here to help and fam uh, child services can understand the effects that it has on the family and maybe give broaden their horizon on how to give back to the family so let's start with Tajay and Tajay do you want to give a little background of your experience with DHS Yes, um, I recently had a DHS case that led to me not, not being compliant, so they took me to court. Um, I, the allegations wasn't made on me per se, it was made on my children's father, and I still had to like go to court. And um, basically it just kind of like waned off of him back onto me, and the allegations weren't on me. Um, so at one point, when I went to court, uh, my kids had their own attorney. So I don't understand why your kids get their own attorney if they're like not going against you. Like if we're all one, 
why would my kids get segregated to have their own attorney like as as if they're like yeah my mom was beating on me take me away like i don't want no part of this um how did that affect the family it was very scary when we went to court um the the my kids attorney decided to say they was taking removing my kids out their home when I, I had to talk to my lawyer because they never had proof that they ever came to my home. DHS eventually had closed out the case, but the children advocacy um, said that they wanted to remove the kids. But since they didn't have proof that they were at my home or at the right door or stating that they were ever there because you're supposed to like leave a letter, leave information, they didn't do any of that. So my kids didn't get removed from the home. So it's a very scary moment when you are have children and one day they can just wake up and not be there especially for allegations that are not true have you ever experienced dhs prior to the situation with your children yes okay um, do you want to elaborate on any of that experience yes. so i have a six-year-old son and he went to a therapist and said that i killed the cat so now they're hitting me with uh animal cruelty neglect of a child and all because he was mad that I didn't keep the cat. So now... You did not kill a cat. No. He was upset that I did not keep the cat. The cat was probably like six or seven weeks old. It was still on formula. So it was like having a new baby. Like mm -hmm. we're out the mm -hmm. house eight mm -hmm. and ten hours of the day. So mm -hmm. who's going to feed the baby? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... um. They came, and surprisingly, I had the, the SPCA paper, like, in my car. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't even keep receipts, but this time I was like, hey, I actually got the paper. That closed out, and then it was just like, anything can, like, get DHS. Like, any any little thing, like, hey, my mom pinched me. Like, and it could just be false accusations, and it's like, you have to go through war. Like, me killing a cat. Or me, my allegations of me killing a cat. Now you're in my refrigerator. So what mm -hmm. they have to do with killing a cat? Mm -hmm. So, so can you? Do you mind if we take a step back and uh -huh. talk about y your first interactions with the DHS system? Okay. Like even early on. in your life. Okay. Early. So, um, growing up, I had a mother who suffered from drug abuse. So I was taken out from my mother's care and raised by my grandmother. Um, and you know, as a even as a young woman, you 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 thrive a, a, a mother, not like a grandmom. Your grandmom is your grandmom. It's like the you're, it's like a generation. So her living, her cooking, her style is totally different than what your mother's would be. So it's it's hard. Um, it it really still is like um a painful thing still today because I still don't you know have that relationship with my mom, but I just grew to mold myself as I had children, just to be the best person I could be. Um, now, you said you had DHS dealing with your mother's situation. How did they foster you through your development or your transition going from your mother's household to your grandmother's household? Um, it wasn't like a fosterment. It was more so like just a placement. Like, uh, I think one thing with DHS is that even like when I went to court recently, they was like, who could the kids go to this, like, more so like family wise and that's probably what it was back in that in the in that day was like who is the the closest person to your mother that this child could be placed with so the closest person to my mother was her mom which is my grandma and that's who i was placed with but other than that i don't remember like having dhs like for the rest of that journey of living with my grandma
No therapy or anything? No therapy. Um, So, you know, kind of coming full circle and back to where we are now. So you had, in the recent past, DHS come to you because your son said he killed a cat. Right. Um, (laughs) What, how did the impact of your having to go to court, like, can you help me understand what that actually looked like on Um, a day-to-day basis, like how that impacted the functioning no, of the family in your life in my life it was no sleep no no rest it was the think of your next move as in now your kids could be placed so my next move was maybe to ship my kids somewhere because no one can't have my kids but me and it sucks to tell people that but they're mine but um at that point um it was just like a nightmare, like to just to think that someone can come into your home and snatch your kids at any minute. Mm-hmm. And then as time got closer to court, it was like I started just to tell myself, like if they were go- going to take your kids, they would have been took them out the home if they felt like they were unsafe. So then it became like a wind down. But then that day before court, you like, why are they subpoenaing my kids to come to court? Why are they subpoenaing my kids to come to court? So is it to get them in court? Because now they're separating you and your kids to take them. So then it becomes like a whole bunch of like thoughts and like a cloud in your head that you just try to bury over and just try to think so positive. But you can't be positive because now it's like you're in front of a judge. You have an attorney. Your kids have an attorney. You just don't know like what your next move could be. I have a question. Did you have an attorney? I did have an attorney. It was court appointed? Yes. Okay. Yep, I did have an attorney, and when we went to court, since me and my children's father don't live in the same address, it was almost like they had to continue court because he didn't have an attorney, and because when it all started, it was one address, mm-hmm. as in he as in as if he was living with me. So it was like one attorney for me and him, and then the children advocacy, which is like considered an attorney for my kids, mm-hmm. and then the lawyer kind of got it thrown out as if that basically like it just was like a whole kind of screw up type thing mm-hmm. okay. um so i think that that would actually be that that's a good background thank you tajay um um i, I think that now we can i would love to open up the floor and introduce our other guest clarence no clarence you work with dhs can you give the people who are listening a little background on what you do at dhs mm-hmm. and we can discuss how you can help families like Tajay's. Sure. Uh, My name is Clarence Nelson. I've been working for the Department of Human Services for over 25 years. I started off as a social worker on the street. I was promoted in 2007 as a supervisor. And presently, in uh, the department has changed its strategies in case management, and it's improving outcome for children in which the core uh, the community umbrella agencies are now uh, where the uh, established social, social workers are uh, managing cases in individual communities in uh, Philadelphia. And my role is uh, a practice specialist at this time in which uh, what I do is when cases come to DHS for the first time, families meet in what's known as a family team conference to discuss their cases and uh, where we try to uh, make the 
family come in, feel comfortable with uh, ground rules, and uh, the whole objective and the purpose is to empower the parent to discuss those situations which brought them there in the first place. There are certain concerns that were developed by DHS in a report or however um, the case came into being, but the family has an opportunity. It's not a court hearing. It's just a small setting where they're given the opportunity to express how this situation became into DHS, what precipitated, what they can do to eliminate those concerns along with a team, basically the DHS worker, uh, any friends, family, relatives, supports, preacher, storefront owner, best friends or whatever, any supports that they feel would be helpful to them in defending their case at that time. And it's not, like I said, a, a time to defend the case, but just a time to bring it all out. And it's ugly a lot of times, but it gives them an opportunity to feel what circumstance brought them there so that we can safely discuss uh, the future for their families, uh, children or whatever the circumstance that brought them there, the healing and the process. Uh, that's what I do, basically, uh, at, at DHS. Um, I'm listening to Ms. Tajay, first of all, and I feel your frustration, and uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, what happened to you happened, and I think that on behalf of the Department of Human Services, certainly we, uh, we apologize. Uh, but what we do uh, is about empowering children and youth, and the whole objective of DHS since day one, it's, it's about building families. It's about keeping families close together. It's not about destroying families or separating families. Uh, however, when it gets into a court-involved situation, it often becomes messy, and you never know which direction it's going to go because, like you said, each one has separate lawyers. It becomes a courtroom battle. Can you imagine that? A family in a courtroom where each one is sided up? That's not even family-oriented. You know, and uh, for the most part, when it's involved in court and, and when it goes to that level, a lot of times it destroys families. Um, so, yeah. So one of our best cases, most of our, in my opinion, best case scenarios is when they're not involved in court where you can comfortably come to these conferences uh, and discuss your case based simply on the family's interaction and the family's experience. When the family comes to these conferences and is court involved, it makes it more complicated because you're directed by the court. A lot of the allegations have, haven't been fully resolved, and you're not sure, uh, for the most part, who's telling the truth, you know, or what happens. And like you said, the children have their opinion, the father have their opinion, and, and, and so forth. And oftentimes the families are broken when they come. So it's, it, it makes it more difficult. There are lots of resources that the community umbrella agencies do have to assist the family in healing, mm -hmm. so to speak. And the resources include um, family group decision making. Um, I applaud North Light in their um, reach out to young uh, teenagers because it looks like you guys are dealing with that vulnerable group, that group that is. Uh, like I, I, I understand ages 15 and up and just perhaps 17 and over. Mm -hmm. 
which um, is a very gray area simply for just child development. Those children basically are still growing, developing, and don't even know which way they go. If you could think back when you were that age, you know, your mind was all over the place. You don't know what you wanted to do. You don't know, yeah. (laughs) So uh, that's good that you are concentrating on that, um, that, those uh, kids, but my just to be clear, we also work with four to twelve year olds as well. So we span from four to twelve yes. to twelve to um, seventeen, eighteen years old and as well. So, so yeah, and then we have up to twenty four year olds, and then we have the emergency services with basic needs provisions where we try to meet the needs of all neighbors. Right. Just as a quick fill in for the podcast, because right. again, it's just a function of us getting right. our message out there a little bit as well. Right. Sorry. Um. So. Uh, I'm looking at but the Yeah, yeah. So I, I think to... that what you're getting into kind of leads us into the next logical question, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, so we're talking about the gray area mm-hmm. in life mm-hmm. where DHS has to intervene sometimes in uncomfortable mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. So what are the criteria for DHS to actually intervene and what is the goal of said intervention? I think you touched on the goals, but can we Mm -hmm. ever... Sure. Just to kind of streamline it to exactly the way we look at it from the department's perspective. Over the years, the strategies have changed, but what has remained the same is we like to keep families together. First of all, we don't like to be involved in families' lives. When a report comes to DHS, we at first... um, that There's an investigation... But we try not to open that that case. I mean, we try our best to uh, clearly investigate the allegations and the rationale for them bringing them there. And it's based on, uh, it, it comes up with a, um, a decision where whether the family is safe, doesn't need to be involved, the family is safe enough to uh, work on their own and we can get, provide them with some community resources and they don't even have to open a case. Um, and then if we do open the case, we can just uh, recommend some in-home services, such as the community umbrella agencies. Mm-hmm. And depending upon the criteria of the allegations, which r- rises the level of, of, uh, uh, of, of what the allegations are about, depends on what we put into the case. And if it rises to the court, like I said, the level where it's involved in court, that means the child is at risk. There's some bodily injuries there, or there's, uh, it's been ter- determined that the children are unsafe, mm. or the family presents an unsafe situation. So it, 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 it depends on the level it comes in. But first, we, the, at first, the first thing that we do is try not to put, bring that uh, family into the system. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. Tajay, how, how often or have you been introduced to any community umbrella agencies or CUAs through um, your involvement with DHS? Just recently through court. Um, so when the court closed out my cases, my DHS and when DHS and the Children Advocacy co- closed out my case, they gave me a resource worker. So my resource worker introduced me like to like CUA and just was like you can go to therapy if your children need therapy and other things like that but that was like the only this was like my first time ever getting introduced to those resources mm-hmm. through a resource worker mm-hmm. How's, mm-hmm. how do you feel the resource worker is working with your family do you feel like you're getting the information or the resources that you need to help 
bring your family back as a whole and not have DHS intervening your family again? My resource worker is actually great. I felt like at the end of this mm-hmm. journey, my resource worker mm-hmm. is like the best thing right now. Like she's like really a helping hand. Mm-hmm. Like, do you need anything? Do your kids need school uniforms for next year? Mm-hmm. Um, do you need me to help you find a therapist? Mm-hmm. Um, like everything. Do you need a bill paid? Are you back on a bill? Like she's. When there yeah. is someone who is there to ask you, what do you need? How can I help you? What does that do for you as a mother? It it lightens up my spirit. Like I'm not by myself. It's someone out here to help. Um, especially being a single mom. It is really like a great feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's great. Um, so Clarence, well if if a child's removed I don't think that we've gotten to this yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so if a child's removed, what happens to the child? Where do they go? What is the process? What happens to the parent as well? Um, Tajay, I'm going to kind of hone in on to Tajay's story. Please. Uh, in that in earlier in her life, because it sounds like you've been involved with DHS for, for, as a child. (laughs) And at that time you recall that, uh, your grandmother became a caretaker. Uh, and, uh, you mentioned that. Well, we call it kinship care. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's kinship care, there's foster care, there's group home care, there's institutional care. All of those rises to whatever the issues surrounding that child, whether the child has behavioral issues, whether the child is just a regular, what they call general foster care, general child. The first door is to keep the child with the parent, first of all, with services. We don't want to remove the child. The second door, if the child feels unsafe or there's some issues that the child is at risk and the child has to be removed from that parent, we place them with a family member. That would be the kinship. That would be the kinship. Of course, the family member has to qualify. In many of our cases, believe it or not, they may have a thousand family members, but none of them uh, qualifies because most Mm. of them have criminal backgrounds. I mean, which further helps you understand the the origin of how the child became a systems child in the first place. Well, mm. speaking of criminal backgrounds, there's lots of people who have criminal backgrounds and they don't have bad, like they aren't abusive to children or anything. So can you go over the guidelines of what they look for in your criminal background that would say, no, you can't take on your grandchild or your... Uh, well, first of all, we as workers don't determine that. Okay. We as workers uh, uh, send their, take the information from the, uh, the referral for the okay. family member, and it goes through the state child line clearance. Okay. Just like anyone else would get a clearance to get a job, a clearance for hmm. social worker, a clearance for a teacher, a clearance uh, to take care of children, a, chair, a clearance to be involved within the public with children. Um, so after... As I going back to where I said about qualified caretakers and to the uh, extent of how we uh, review and, and qualify them, kinship is the first is the next uh, uh, approach in terms of trying to solidify that family. If none of the family members qualify, then they have to go into foster care. Foster care means that there's an array of already qualified foster parents who work as uh, caretakers. And so uh, it becomes more least restrictive to more restrictive. You know, you see how we work with it. And then 
uh, into foster care if uh, they are able to uh, uh, meet the child's needs, then the child stays there. Sometimes the children come with varied behavioral issues, which farther exceeds and complicates a placement of a child again, uh, and uh, which puts the child into a more of a residential treatment, which means that that child is coming with some diagnosis, uh, some issues that makes it difficult for them to uh, work in a regular family setting period. So that child goes into residential, which means that there are further qualified, experienced caretakers who deal with children with behavioral issues, and they have to be streamlined to uh, a different uh, number of criteria in terms of who's in the home, uh, how many is in the home, and whether that child needs one-on-one -on -one, uh, intervention. And then there's another level that goes into group home. I mean, and then from that point on into institutional. Institution basically means that there are some mental health issues that are, uh, make the child's situation a lot more complicated, which means that the issues are not just internal, are not just external, but internal. And they're dealing with the child's own mental health uh, complications. Is there a trauma-informed model that DHS follows? I mean, in terms of, you know, where we place kids when they come out, I could imagine scenarios mm -hmm. where we take a functioning child out of their normal home and then mm -hmm. they become a dysfunctional child pretty mm -hmm. quickly and are mm -hmm. perhaps categorized as that when mm -hmm. the problem may actually be that they were removed from the home. Yeah, that separation um, So, you know, again, in terms of, mm -hmm. I, I'm very involved in the trauma-informed right. world, um, and right. so, you know, is there an understanding that comes behind the decision-makings to mitigate the risks yes, yes. that are taken in making the strides of removing a child from the home? Of or, course. Et yes. There's a whole um, network of assorting qualifying and disseminating information when a case opens up in DHS. And when it comes to a child, it becomes very child-specific in terms of how that child comes in and what that child comes with. Uh, and that, again, is, it is, is determined from the child's level age because the smaller children have developed, uh, are dealt with what they call ASQs and stuff in terms of whether or not the child is... Uh, they are uh, referred to the DHS nurses Just or, yes. Real quick, can you uh, describe what ASQs are so for people who don't know? Uh, and I'm, and, and I'm, I'm saying something about which I'm not so sure. I can remember what the acronyms are myself, so. No, but it deals with, the, uh, it's a question and answer uh, criteria that they use to uh, find out that the child is on point developmentally, sort of like Child Link in that uh, the series of questions they ask to see if the child is developing normally, if there are any red flags or red lights that uh, uh, seem to surface where the child is not, um, has been exposed to any issues which at its age would be developmentally harmful. So yes, yeah, so that's what they do when they come in, in that age. And that's, uh, they do that and uh, that determines whether or not the child is within range or not within range. You know, similar to what a doctor does when you go into the office and they evaluate a child to see if he's growing on point or out of that range. There's a certain criteria they use. Beyond that, 
uh, if the child is experiencing some behavioral circumstances or whatever, uh, some uh, th there is the question and answer that deals with that as well in terms of whether or not child needs uh, is special needs. If the child is cognitively developed, uh, is, on, is on point, uh, whether child educational uh, on point, all of that is assessed to determine the placement of the child. It goes to various different departments uh, within the department okay. in order to come back with results in terms of where this child is before it is um, um, placed. Right. And of course, if to other, as it gets beyond that, there are psychological evaluations and others depend upon what brought that child into the um, department in the first place. And that depends on, and that depending on the level of why they came determines what type of evaluation or test is done. Mm. I would like to say something. Sure. Because um, interestingly enough, that happens with DHS, but I wonder if it happens or could this happen with the student, well, with kids that are not in DHS, mm -hmm. so that people like myself that work with teenagers can understand and get an assessment of what kind of functionality of the students that I'm working with. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, I'm placing them with workforce development skills, mm -hmm. and sometimes it seems as though that some of them have it, and some of them don't. Mm -hmm. And so to develop that out and see what that looks like mm -hmm. on a on a scale would be nice to mm -hmm. understand what, what kind of student I'm working with. That was just something mm -hmm. I thought about. Just to add to that, kids that are not normally involved in DHS, as they're going to regular public schools, um, to the, to uh, is your question developed to whether or not they are developing functionally or whether or not they're in their proper age group and so forth? Yes. Uh, when kids go, well, y'all know how public schools in Philadelphia, I'm not going to get into yeah. that, but a lot. But at least all schools afford the opportunity for the parent to request a psychological evaluation for their child. If that, the parents, the child is at home with parents. Mm -hmm. the, child, the, the parents are the first ones to see their own child and to understand and observe whether or not your child is developing normally. Um, also, the parents can see in how your child reacts when he goes to school, he or she goes to school and comes back and how they interact. So if there's anything that's abnormal or, or is questionable about their development, the child has to, the, the, the parent has the right to request that their child be evaluated for free at no cost to the school's counselor. Okay. Of course, the the public schools drags their feet a little bit, but you have to continually, it's, it's unfortunate, but in, the, in Philadelphia, you have to continue badgering your school because mm -hmm. of the numbers that they have. You have to continue to badger the counselor to uh, send your child's referral forth. I want my child tested. I want to make sure that he's in the right grade. His behavior is not, he's not coming home. He's coming home, he's complaining about this and that and other. It doesn't appear as though he's reading at the level that he should be, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yes, you get them tested if at free, unless you have loads of money and you can go to a private uh, psychologist and have them evaluated. Okay. <laughs> you know, but yes, first have them evaluated, and uh, what you want them evaluated for the specific questions. I want to know whether or not he's within his age group, uh, learning at the level that he's supposed to. I want to know if there are any uh, trauma-associated factors involved in his life right now. Is he a, what is he fearful of? What is he, you know, because a lot of kids, as they're growing, they have a certain amount of anxiety associated with the child development.
anyway. Mm. But and and it's it's within range. But you have the right to find out uh, through those psycholo- early psychological tests is whether or not that those are within normal range. Because some kids, you know, are going to go out of that uh, range. Okay. And that's when, but but yeah, through the school, or you can do it privately in terms of having your children tested. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Generally, I mean, like as you look over the macro sociological spectrum of like where kids fall in the education circle, some will be a little bit below the norm. Mm-hmm. You get the bell where most kids fall in that regular right. bubble, and then you get kids on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked in an inner city high school. I know that John has worked in inner city schools for much longer than I have. So while in theory it does sound great to be able to ask a counselor, and you did acknowledge that you have to badger the counselor, which Mm -hmm. presents its own limitations for people who don't have the time to, Mm -hmm. you know, there there are certain limitations that that keeps up. Um, I I was curious, though, if we could touch on perhaps, and John, I would love to hear your perspective as well on this, but, like, when we go into these evaluations, how effective, like one, what's the turnover time? Because inner city school mm-hmm. counselors are pretty mm-hmm. uh, stretched. Packed. Yeah, I yeah. mean, they're, they're stretched pretty mm-hmm. thin. So mm-hmm. are we talking like you can request a psychological evaluation and then by the time that your kid graduates, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you get one? Or is it, you know, is there some sort of window? And then I, again, like I've gone to therapy for mm-hmm. a long time in my life. Mm-hmm. And it took a while for me to actually open up to where mm-hmm. I think that any doctor, no matter how good they were, can make an accurate psychological evaluation. Mm-hmm. And so how well are the evaluations being conducted? How well are they portraying the child? Are they labeling them as something when maybe they're just working through a phase in their life and it's just a window that mm-hmm. they're brought into an office and then they're labeled as that for the rest of their lives? How do we kind of avoid those situations? Well, I could speak to the labeling aspect and just the whole, the eval, the eval aspect. So from my perspective, dealing with many families who went through evaluations and have different diagnoses of behaviors, a lot of times, Personally, I feel like they've been misdiagnosed. However, we can't say that, or we can't diagnose ourselves. But what we do is notice the behaviors and compare the behaviors with the children who are diagnosed with the same behaviors. A lot of times children are diagnosed with autism who don't display autism behaviors. A lot of times children are diagnosed with conduct disorders who have ODD behaviors. And it's just about the psychologist or therapist seeing evaluating the student and seeing where that child's at that's why i'm always an advocate for get a second opinion because no one doctor is correct and getting that second opinion gives you a different perspective on what's going on with my child and maybe two three four down the line that will say the same thing and then maybe your child has that diagnosis but definitely get a second diagnosis because a lot of times what i notice even with medication is they go from one end of the spectrum to another end of the spectrum, and they don't always give the correct diagnosis. So parents always need to be very on top of what are their child diagnosed with, do the research of what this diagnosis is, and see if the criteria fits your child. In addition to that, try to work with your child who has that diagnosis. Um, What else? I think, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. and I, I, the reason that I ask is because of one student in particular that I worked with at my time at Hill Friedman who was diagnosed 
with autism early in his life, was one of the smartest kids that I actually worked with over the course of that year, I believe intellectually. And I think that, obviously, again, I don't believe in labeling Mm. anybody one way or another, so I'm not trying to pass judgment on the label, but I do know what that did to his self-esteem. And thinking about the needs of the child versus the needs of the adults who are labeling that child and putting him through the system. Because, again, as that label sunk deeper and deeper into his own head, Mm -hmm. the limitations that that set on him, I know, were difficult. And now he's at college. You know, he's very capable. He Mm -hmm. still is. Mm -hmm. But, again, could could his educational experience have been a little bit happier? Mm -hmm. And I always... You know, when I think about him. Mm-hmm. No, I know that feeling though, Jesse. The reason why I say I know, know that feeling is because you got so many children who are misdiagnosed, and a lot of times what I notice is that with that stigma of oh, I have autism mm-hmm. or oh, I have ODD, mm-hmm. then everybody else starts labeling you. A lot of times when I work out in the field, mm-hmm. children are coming up to me, oh, this child did this because of their this that and the third, and the children know the child's diagnosis and the children, which they shouldn't, mm-hmm. and the children know the behaviors and everything else. Mm-hmm. So that child has to deal with that rep all throughout their life, and it pigeonholes them into one box a lot of times, and it it's it's. Uh, it's stops them their development in a lot of aspects of where they could go in life Mm -hmm. what i like to do in a lot of respects is always when i work with families is just make sure that if they have autism don't treat them any different Mm -hmm. treat them like any child who you would raise who did not have autism because they don't know they're different until other people tell them as long as you're telling them you're the same as everybody else they will develop this well, not at the same level, but mm-hmm. they would develop more and they will progress more in life. Mm-hmm. There's, if I may shout out a piece that I read in my master's program mm-hmm. real quick. It's called The Least Dangerous Assumption, and mm-hmm. it's by Cheryl Jorgens, mm-hmm. J-O-R-G-E-N-S-O-N mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. But The Least Dangerous Assumption, and it talks about the way to act when dealing mm-hmm. with students with autism. Mm-hmm. And so it just is very much in line mm-hmm. with what you were just saying. Um, while we're kind of on this direction, if we before we go there, I also wanted to talk about autism because you mentioned autism. I do want to mention to people who are listening that autism is still being worked out. The spectrum of autism is still being worked out. At one point, Asperger wasn't considered autism. Now it's considered autism. So it's all about learning what is the guidelines for autism, what qualifies that child to be on the spectrum, which is high functional or low functional, and just knowing that information and seeing what qualifies your child to have autism. And you have to do the work too. But what were you going to say, Jesse? I just wanted to add really quick Sorry, before Jesse. Um, and when I get the students working in workforce development and this kind of where this whole this whole streamline of this conversation stem from, I don't know anything about them. I don't know if they have any ADD, ADHD, autism, any of those things. So I usually get a kid telling me, oh, I'll suffer from this. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't know. Right. I don't even know what that is. Mm-hmm. Do you know how to work? Do you <laughs> exactly. do, do you show to work up? On, do you show to work on time? Mm-hmm. Can you dress appropriately? Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So I get them at that level, and it's really, really um, 
more enlightening and a lot more lighter because I don't get the heavy conversations about the things and the traumas that they dealt with. Mm -hmm. However, those do come out later on in the time that I work with them. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the reason that I ask what I ask and Tajay and Clarence, at any point, feel free to, like, chime in if something gets like, as well. Right. I, don't, I just feel like it, it just starts from home. Mm -hmm. Like, I have a son who is not who suffers from autism, and mm -hmm. it just starts from home. Mm -hmm. um, just showing him the support. Like, I go, mm -hmm. I am very hard on him. So he's mainstreaming in the third grade, and mm -hmm. then he goes to his <coughs> autism class or his special support class in the morning, and then, like, I literally make him mainstream the rest mm -hmm. of the day just mm -hmm. so he can, like, weigh out his boundaries and mm -hmm. see where he fit in and see his placements and, mm -hmm. you know, run around and, you know, you learn off of others around you. Mm -hmm. And um, basically, I just feel like you just got to just support them at home, mm -hmm. build up their self-esteem, right. talk to them. They're going to be great every right. day. Like, hold their hand, pop up right. to the school. What can I do to better this child? Exactly. And I'd like to chime in. I'd like to, first of all, agree. Uh, Tajay is hit right on point. It starts at home because parents are the first ones to see any deficits in their child's functioning and to bring it to the professionals and the clinicians in order to yes. get them evaluated. And once they are evaluated, you be careful with what the evaluation is because what one, the most important element in the evaluations is the parent's input, what they've observed, what they see, what they feel about their child. And the worst thing that you can do is label. Uh, Back in the day, they used to call children mentally retarded. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I began to get my own son, who is who has um, intellectual disability, uh, mentally retarded was on the curve of, we don't use that anymore. They call them intellectual disabled. I would dare say that today they have another term for it. Yeah, but it, it's safe to best just not use any terms at all. Mm -hmm. Just I'm different, mm -hmm. you know, if it comes to that because so many people have so many different uh, diagnoses or whatever. From a child's standpoint, you're just like any other child. You just have some issues. We all have, have issues, issues. Right. Uh, and let it be at that. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw uh, America's Got Talent, mm -hmm. and this child that was, has mm -hmm. autism, autism and was blind, mm -hmm. and how he came on the stage and how he was really unable to articulate who he was, how he was, or whatever. But his mother was there, and how music changed his life. He got on the piano. He played a beautiful song and sung it very well until they gave him the golden buzzer. He goes all the way to the finals now. But mm -hmm. if you get a chance, you'll probably see it on social me media because that's something that's trending right now. But I say that to say autism or anyone who has an issue all have strengths mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and everything even when we look from DHS uh, perspective of families we deal it on a strengths based model so whenever you get a situation or a family that comes in or even children with issues you deal with what are they good at and you go from there and then even when you're having them evaluated, these are the kind of things, to, uh, the criteria that they use to evaluate. You know, what are they good at? What are, what are their strengths? What do they turn out to be? Because most autistic children are gifted, you know, in some areas, just finding out what that niche is. Exactly. Uh, so, yes. Yeah, I mean, so when I was in 10th grade, so my best friend passed away the summer between 9th and 10th grade yeah. in a plane crash. Wow. That day just, I mean, you know, one of those big T traumas. Mm -hmm that just changes the course of your life. After that, I was diagnosed with ADD, depression, all that stuff. 
and told that I have learning disabilities that came on all of a sudden. You, Jesse? Me, mm. oh, Jesse. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, we we're we're all well, out. You don't there. sound like you're but disabled to is, me. <laughs> I, I never looked at it as a disability. I am different. You know, my perspective on the world because of my I, I think in large part because of my love for Doug. Right. And shortly after that, I mean, there was a year that was just the worst right. for me, and I did not function academically, socially. I, I struggled a lot, mm -hmm. but I wasn't disabled. I was different. Right. right. And kind of to what you were saying, I may think so differently than the four of you in this room and mm -hmm. everybody else that's in the world out there with me. But it's normal to me. It's all that I've ever known. Right. And it's about North Light's mission is to empower people mm -hmm. to fulfill their greatest abilities. Mm -hmm. And it's about having the child's mind say, I'm me and I'm going to be strong mm -hmm. and really giving them the ability to find that one thing, you know, that kid that can mm -hmm. do the piano and get mm -hmm. that gold buzzer and mm -hmm. he's going, I want for him to play at the next North oh, Light yes. event. Yes. Like, that would be sweet. Let's get him out there if he's mm -hmm. trending. Mm -hmm. But, you know, find that thing that they're good at and let them put all of their energy into that and let them be happy and thrive in that instead exactly. of suffocating them through the label of exactly. you have ADD. I remember, mm -hmm. you know, one of the worst parts about the whole process for me was having to take meds mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. every yeah. I mean a wow. cocktail of medication and then for wow. a while I had to during school get taken out of class wow. to get more medication wow. and that was only because I mean that's what my parents thought was best they loved me so much you know wow. it was just the science is at a different yeah. point now where we don't have to label kids anymore like you said we mm -hmm. can just kind of have it be mm -hmm. I didn't mean to take over the whole conversation. No, I, honestly, I appreciate you mentioning it, especially with the medication aspect and sharing that information. We definitely need to have a further discussion about that in the future because there's so many issues with that. There's a that book called Lost Connections by Lost a guy by Johan Hari. Mm -hmm. After I read that, I actually got off some of the medications mm -hmm. for the okay. first time in like 10 years. Very good. Um, but Lost Connections Lost by Lost Connections, and, and it talks about how a lot of the answers that we try to solve through medication mm -hmm. do not need to be solved through medication. They need to be solved through human connection, community. Mm -hmm. um, if we can, you know, kind of move this mm -hmm. conversation toward the, like, keeping the community in line, I mean, I think that that's a pretty good transition mm -hmm. into, you yeah. know, in, in what ways do aftercare programs and community centers like Northlight has, Tajay, Clarence? I, I would like to hear both of mm -hmm. your answers on this, and then John and Bernetta, you guys too. How do they help families in general, and then also how do they support the families that are going through DHS? At the beginning you were talking about people who were called in to support, mm -hmm. and so relationships mm -hmm. with Northlight. Well, I, I view Northlight as a resource, a viable resource in the community. It's community-based. Uh, it deals with one of our vulnerable population, the youth. Uh, it's strength-based and that it identifies, it helps the youth to connect with their emotional feelings. Uh, you get a chance to be around uh, your peers. You get a chance to be around um, other um, professionals who are able to observe and see how that child matriculates or whatever and uh, identify uh, the child's strengths and help that child grow. So yes, uh, I think North Light is doing a great job, as I had mentioned before, in terms of just being there, being um, open, 
being receptive, because that's all our youth need now is someone to hear them, someone to talk to, and especially in uh, the absence of a parent. A lot of children are, are born parentless, mm-hmm. and they only are relying on their peers or their extended family members, which does not give them a good, solid, solid connection. Uh, so yes, mm-hmm. and then many times, such as we at DHS say, uh, especially when your children are removed from parents who are abusive, or we have to stand in and be that parent for that child. I can see North Light saying the same thing. Definitely do. I definitely agree with you, Mr. Clarence. Um, I feel like guidance is a good way. North mm-hmm. Light shows it. Um, a lot of positivity, a lot going on. So mm-hmm. you're always going to be focused and motivated, mm-hmm. motivated by the people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always a good go-to place if you need anything. Um, I've been there since I was a child myself. Now mm-hmm. I'm 25, and now my children go there. So And mm-hmm. hopefully their children will go there. Mm-hmm. So it's been a blessing to me. My children, they, they work with me. They work with me financially. If I didn't have it, they're there. My kids been to like all of the academics there. My son does cooking on Saturdays, art on Wednesdays. So it's a lot, and my kids love it. My son actually was in a commercial for them. Wow. We will repost that video today <laughs> on Instagram. Of very Jay. Good. Yeah, it's very a great good. video. It's, it's been very a pleasure. And it for any children who is suffering from getting taken away from your kid, mm-hmm. um, getting taken away from your parents, and you know you just don't have the kindness and want to find different, I, I would suggest everyone or anyone to come to North Flight Community Center. It's a good place. It's different. It's a different feel. You don't wow. feel like an outsider. You feel like basically you fit in. When you walk in, everyone speaks. No one's mm. looking at you from the eye. They make you feel comfortable. Wow, here, here, to the North Light. (laughs) Tajay, if we can uh, give a quick shout out to, so Tajay happens to be an amazing mother as well, if you couldn't tell from her coming here, from what she's been saying. Mm -hmm. Um, You actually took the initiative to approach me in terms of an idea. So in case there's a listener out there that would be interested in helping us out, I mean, do you want to put it out there, what you want to see happen for North Light again? Yes, um, more sports. So we mm-hmm. do have, like, mm-hmm. school-age kids that we work with. Mm-hmm. Um, like this young lady said, pronounce your name again? Bernetta. Miss Bernetta <laughs> said, I'm sorry. Um, so sports is another thing to keep young kids focused and mm-hmm. trying mm-hmm. to figure out what they want to do in life. Maybe they might want to be a basketball player, a basketball coach, give back mm-hmm. to the community, mm-hmm. coach younger children so they can become up. Um, so I wanted to start more sports, maybe like a flag football or mm-hmm. basketball. When I went there, I played b- basketball. I was a, um, a point guard. Keith was wow. my Good Keith was my coach at that time, and he mm-hmm. was very stern mm-hmm. on me. So it was it was is very great. So if anyone is interested in playing a sport or want to start a team, we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from my perspective, when Tajay approached, you know, I was excited about. Uh, you know what that could do for kids and we're a little bit scrapped on the nonprofit mm-hmm. side in terms of funding a basketball team mm-hmm. but if anybody that is listening and that's would be interested too. in supporting a basketball team we do have a basketball court at the center that's something yes. that we mm-hmm. can pretty easily orchestrate mm-hmm. and you know young kids could get involved keep book i think that sports offers a lot of structure for yes. kids mm-hmm. yes and is valuable Very good. so just wanted to put that out there while we were here sure all right so now for throwback thursday so back in my day, <laughs> back in my day. So today, during our back in my day session, what we're going to talk about is parents' discipline methods that we went through, and do you think it was helpful? So I'll start with myself. 
a parent, uh, my mom, she personally, she didn't spank me. And she would take away things, send me to my room and everything else. Do I think that was helpful? Yes and no. <laughs> there was so much that I did as a child that I'm like, dang, I should have got spanked. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I learned how to deal with my feelings in a different manner and talk out my feelings in a different manner. But there's still so many situations that I still believe that I needed to have a spanking for it. Like, so many situations, if y'all only know. Definitely agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um today i do think it's helped tremendously with just my expression because i'm not the best speaker we all know that i don't <laughs> like articulate myself the best however when i'm feeling something i know i need to express it and i know that i need to talk it out and i need to work those emotions out whether i'm going up to somebody and say i really didn't like what you did to me today and expressing that emotion or whether i'm saying dang i'm really happy how can i help somebody it's just being aware of my emotions more so mm -hmm. and being aware of how I can work that out in different mm -hmm. situations. <laughs> Go ahead, um, I wasn't a child who got like spanked. I was, I was like, I don't know, maybe because I was raised by my grandmama was just like, I was like her baby, quote unquote. So I got like away with murder and I feel like <laughs> I should have got like spanked and maybe I would have came out a little differently. Um, oh yeah, I, I feel like it hurt. She just, I don't know. Like, I think she just loved me so much that it just didn't phase her. Like whatever she could do to shut me up from crying, that's mm -hmm. just what her thing was. So it only time I really got spanked was when I did something like in school like crazy but other than that I feel like you know she could have hit me a couple of times for the things I did wow <laughs> oh, can I, I probably would have tightened up can I say one more thing though because my mom she was strict though she was strict on what we could and could not do and there was little very little wiggle room of what we could and could not do <laughs> <laughs> which is why I was defying this so like mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. I'm sorry Bernetta <laughs> Oh, okay. So my mother or well, my parents' discipline method was a number of things. So like Clarence mentioned how DHS grew into what you could and could not do. So did <laughs> the discipline for my parents. So in the beginning, I did get spankings. Because I needed it. <laughs> I needed it. But later on, as I got older, usually it was around that 9, 10, 11-year-old age. Um, my mom used to take stuff away. Like John would say, take it away. You can't watch TV. You can't go outside. You can't do this, 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 this. Mm -hmm. Cell phones didn't exist, so <laughs> that wasn't a problem. Mm. But I still found stuff to get into. So... Mm. My mom told me, what do I think my punishment should be? Mm. And that was very, very, very impactful because mm -hmm. the things that I thought should be taken away, I took away. And she was like, oh, I wouldn't even took that away. But <laughs> okay, that's what you think your discipline should be. Wow. So it was very helpful. It made me look at the things that I was doing and the consequences behind it was all on me. And I think that's why today, now, I'm really hard on myself because I disciplined myself when I was around 12 and throughout the, yeah, throughout my high school years. Yeah. Yeah. The wow. Navy might have also had something to do with it. Maybe, maybe. Wow. Yeah, let me state the question again so I can stay on point. 
because first of all, uh, I can go places. Uh, <laughs> what was your parents' discipline methods and do you think they were helpful? First of all, let me date myself <laughs> because my, uh, my, my parents, <coughs> I was born in 58. Okay. And most of my disciplining happened during the, the 50s, 60s, and early 70s. And my father was an alcoholic. Mm. It was the second uh, uh, marriage for both of my parents. And there was some domestic violence going on. So in those areas, during that particular time, the civil rights movement in Mississippi, can you see the stage? Yeah. Did I get beat? Yes, I did, royally. <laughs> However, I was a good kid, so I only got one or two, mm -hmm. but they were vicious. They were vicious to the point where I had whips on my body, and but naked, I, I was truly a case with DHS. But of course, we, there was no intervention at that time. Do I think it was helpful? Yes. It beat me so hard enough, I know not to do it again. I know, that's right. <laughs> so, so, yes, I grew out of the, those stages. I grew out of that. But my parents loved me very much. Mm -hmm. My parents were simply victims of their own uh, history and culture. They were both sharecroppers. They were uneducated. Mm -hmm. And they were raising uh, all five of us the best that they could. It was my mother had 16, 14 children. And... Uh, at a, at, a, at a era that was really uh, complicated f for the world, I think they did very well uh, mm -hmm. in terms of getting me to where I am. I would not be the kid that I am today if it had not been for them. Mm -hmm. So I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Um, I love that you started that with admitting that you were born in 1958 mm -hmm. and ended by calling yourself a kid. Yeah. I appreciate that so much. <laughs> right. Truly. Wow, interesting. Um, Still a kid. I'm going back. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I love that. I hope that that part of me never leaves. Yeah, um, yeah for me, uh, my parents loved me tremendously, and fortunately uh, we came from more privileged circumstances, and so they had the ability to support me in, the, in, a, in a lot of the ways that I needed. We didn't have some of the struggles that other families face that just caused so much friction. Um I thought that that worked pretty well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. Uh, just they, my dad was very strict. Mm -hmm. My mom was also very strict for the most part. I, I never really got beat, never got hit. Mm -hmm. But it, Good for you. Uh, well, I, I was, I was because I was afraid of them, I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it, it kept me in line enough to, you know, not do the wrong thing. And then that mm -hmm. became the norm. And then. While I was living in their house till there I was eighteen, was I don't, I don't yeah. hate to be too boring, but wait, what? <laughs> what? You never did anything that got? Did they raise their voice oh, at you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I mean, I was yeah, medicated. I was an yeah. AD kid. There was plenty of stuff, <laughs> but they didn't hit me. Oh yeah, yeah. And then it's not like I was like running wow. out, like wow. late, doing anything mm. like too, too uh, crazy. Yeah, no. Wow. I mean, I used to break. I would get really frustrated during homework. That was my biggest problem. Well, during school whole other issue. Homework, I would get mm. super frustrated and like break pencils. I couldn't stand pencils. Yeah. Um, That's not a And so, <laughs> and like, so yeah. that, that was about as bad as it got. My mom would be like, well, you stop breaking pencils. Yeah. And oh, then. Small stage of PTSD, was, huh? Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like. Oh, just the so, joke is how you yeah. can be misdiagnosed. No. Uh, <laughs> right. but, uh, Didn't get hit. It's funny. Did you, did you hit the stand in the corner? No, no. I, I definitely, I mean, I definitely got, like, resigned to my f room a few times. Okay. okay. Oh, okay. And there were definitely, like, screamings when I was really bad. 
Okay. It wasn't a utopia by any stretch. But, like, wow. I mean, to say, like, they didn't hit me, didn't really do anything unfair. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's pretty good. And that's pretty good because I feel like when you work together as parents, you kind of see the, the outbreak. Of mm-hmm. the children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my parents are the craziest. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, still. I wow. mean, to this day, it's like the two of them just. Right. Which is great to see. Mm-hmm. Understandable. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, they were a team in terms of control. And it's hard to man- outmaneuver two adults when you're a child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, they okay. were they were a strong team because my dad, he used to get up very early in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then my mom, she would stay up very late at night. So mm-hmm. it wasn't a lot of. Mm-hmm. A lot of room for unsupervised time. Mm-hmm. However, we stayed in a three-story house, so mm-hmm. I had the, and I had an older sister that was a lot older than me. So she was out of the house. I had the whole second floor to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was just like, oh well, excuse me. What do I do? <laughs> wow. I can figure out ways to But and then I was in so many sports. I was in a bunch of after-school activities. Yeah. I attended a community center exactly. in yeah. North Philadelphia yeah. called okay. R.W. Brown. Okay. And so I was always in stuff, but. That idle time is dangerous. Yes, like, yeah. you just... and, and I was always busy, too. I mean, my yeah, was... dad was my baseball coach growing up. Yeah. I'm wearing a baseball uniform right now in the studio because right. I'm hoping that our right. game tonight doesn't get rained out, but I still coach with him. Right, right. So, like, we definitely did that stuff together, which set the structure. Yeah. Yeah. And we spent enough time that I didn't mm-hmm. want to get on his bad side. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? It's just easier. Mm-hmm. I was definitely busy, too. I think my mom just keeping me busy as a child is what helped mm-hmm. me in a lot of respects. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. away from that, you know, I claim um, the hood around prostitutes and drugs so (laughs) (laughs) my background is totally different than everybody else's but like it just she definitely made sure we went down the right avenue and she tried her hardest when I tell you my mom was strict she was the one mom everybody used to talk about you can't do nothing sit on the steps that's all we do is sit on the steps right yeah well yeah go ahead no 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 please even um my parents, with their, their issues and their deficits, uh, taught me through... They were a team, yeah, because my mom wasn't the one who was whipping. It was my dad. Uh, although, you know, when he did it, he was under the influence. No, he didn't. He wasn't even under the influence because he would come home drunk or whatever. He would sleep. He wouldn't whip us until the next day. So it wasn't exactly <laughs> influenced. And I don't know if he had a hangover or not, but nonetheless, he waited until right. afterwards, I guess, so he wouldn't... Uh, be exercising force on us because of his uh, addiction. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what they taught us more than, like I said, anything more than love was, was love and being together as a family with all of my siblings and so forth. But like I said, but because of the issues and because of the pressures and because of the anxieties associated, uh, how did, was there trauma? Yes, there was. But in my world, as I was growing, those uh, forces forced me to develop into a better child because it was like, you know, a lot of people say I work better under pressure. Mm. More say, I would say the pressures of life is what what turned out positive influences for me because I took the lemons and made lemonade, mm. mm-hmm. and 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 all, and I and I and, and used that same model with everything in life if it's and it never looked at everything as bad i'm 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 an optimistic sort of uh minded person Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know i look at everything as being good to some extent there's always a silver lining at the end of our uh every dark cloud because i've seen so many dark clouds Mm -hmm. like you know i can't 
survive any other way. And I guess nowadays you would call that your coping mechanism mm -hmm. or what what you use to survive. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what I've been using. There, uh, to, yeah. there, there is a concept overcome, of uh, post-traumatic growth yeah. where yes. the adversity that you face teaches you skills that you otherwise would not have had the skills to learn from. Right. And then as you learn on and move on in right. life, it forces it, you to overcome. you cr you almost become a stronger person yes. because of it. Not to say that we should incite trauma, exactly. we should minimize it, but there is a positivity. That's why I think that the awareness of it right. creates the opportunities to for those outlets to grow. Like you said, you had a loving family, and that's mm. probably what built the resilience to get through. Exactly, making sure that everybody has those opportunities is important. Because we all go through mm -hmm. trauma, big T, little T. Yeah, exactly. you know it's it's a spectrum of different experiences, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. life's what right, which further emphasizes how important those two parents are in a child's life, no exactly. matter what the dysfunctionality mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. yes. I just want to clear one thing. My mom was neither a drug dealer or a prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> she loved me very much. Your mom thanks you most yes. of all. Yeah. That, to, I, that brings me to what I want to conclude because I was listening to everybody's conversation today. And I had something written down, right? But I'm not going to go with that today. Mm -hmm. One thing I want to say is after listening to everything that's been said, as a society, we definitely need to do a higher quality job of caring. In addition to that, we need to work with each other and understand stigmas and understand situations before jumping the bridge and overreacting or judging. Mm -hmm. And I just want to leave everybody with that thought because a lot of times dealing with DHS will judge a situation mm -hmm. and will intervene and not make proper choices or going through DHS will judge a situation and not think about why they're in my life and how I can use this as a helping tool versus a hindering tool. Mm -hmm. And in situations as us as professionals or just individuals throughout society, we judge many situations before we assess and we really try to care or understand the people. Mm -hmm. And I just want to empower more people to try to care and understand the situations mm -hmm. and have a higher quality of care for the fellow person, the person next to you, the person on the bus, mm -hmm. the person who you might see once in your life and just try to make an impact on them. Just make a smile. Sometimes mm -hmm. somebody told me a long time ago, when you smile, you never know who you're cheering up. Mm -hmm. I make sure when I'm down, sometimes I smile. Mm -hmm. And let's just keep that going. I would like to say a special thank you to... Uh, all the listeners, thank you, Clarence. Thank you, Tajay. Thank you, Bernetta. Thank you, Jesse. Why did I almost forget your name? <laughs> and thank you, Maniac Studios, for donating our time doing the podcast. Yes. Um, Shout out to MNYK Studios. The studio is fantastic that we f record this mm -hmm. in. There's also uh, space for a band mm -hmm. to record, and there's also space for film Wow. recording so feel free to check them out mnyk studios and they're really they're affordable which is great um i do want to go on and say that uh summer camp is starting if you want to join our summer camp you have until june 1st to get your paperwork in in addition to that 
<laughs> I said that's two days for anybody yes. that doesn't know. Yeah, you better be <laughs> like, what is she saying? <laughs> <laughs> yes, June first to get your paperwork in. We're filling up again. That's Northlight Community Center. The number to reach us is two one five four eight three forty eight hundred. And if you don't, if our uh, slots are filled up don't let that discourage you get on that waiting list a lot of times we make room and we try to wiggle in as many people as we can also if you can't get a part of the summer camp we have kids on that starts in september well i'm sorry august and you could join us at the end of august and that date will be posted later on um jesse where can people reach north light again if they want to donate yeah so um if you want to donate to our annual campaign or any specific initiatives that we have going on, uh, you can visit our website at www.northlightcommunitycenter.org. Um, there is a Give Now page. You can go to northlightcommunitycenter.org donate, which is another donate page. And if you have any questions, you can reach out to the number that John gave you just a few minutes ago. 215. 483 4800. <laughs> or you can shoot me Call an now. email at jkohler, at northlightcommunitycenter.org. And I also want to insert if anyone is still interested in Team Works. This for the high school student, high school graduates that are interested in the trades. We are currently recruiting for, and you can reach me, Bernetta Williams, at 215-483-4800, extension 109. And for any of our visual viewers, I do have a flyer. You'll see this around the city, but it is, as I said, a pre-apprenticeship training for high school graduates that are interested in workforce development and pre-apprenticeship training. All right. Johnny, you want to sign us out? Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for...